Good morning, church, and happy, happy Sunday. I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20 is our text today, James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. We're also going to look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Galatians 6, 1, later on in the message. We're now in part 17 of our series, Faith in Action. And believe it or not, we are finally at the end of the book of James and at the end of this series. We have taken an amazing, an amazing journey through this amazing book. Listen, if you have been complacent in your walk with God, I hope that this series has moved you out of the place of complacency into the place of commitment and that it has caused you to mature in your Christian walk, that you're putting feet, feet, uh, to your faith. This is what we call faith in action. And you see, it's not about growing old in our faith. It's about growing up in our faith. Now, before we get into our text today, I want to take you back, do a quick recap on what we learned so far. In part one, chapter one, verses one through four, James gets right into it and tells us that we're going to face trials and trials of many kinds, different shapes and different sizes. And those trials are there to mature us and to grow us. In part two, chapter one, verses five through eight, James tells us that we need wisdom. Say wisdom. Wisdom when going through trials because wisdom is necessary in order for us to deal with our trials in the right way, in the right manner. In part three, chapter one, verses nine through 12, James gives us an eternal perspective on poverty and riches. And whether rich or poor, we are to persevere, persevere under trials so that we will receive the crown of life that God has promised. Now remember, James is not saying that we're saved by enduring trials. Rather, we're rewarded for enduring trials. In part four, chapter one, verses 13 through 18, he talks about the old nature and what happens when we let the old nature have its way in our lives and the course that it takes. In part five, chapter one, verses 19 through 27, he talks about the word, say the word. It's about listening and, and receiving and practicing the word to be doers, he says, of the word of God. And if we are, then our lives will be marked by a controlled tongue, a love for others, and a holiness before God. In part six, chapter two, verses one through 13, he confronts us on the issue of favoritism and tells us to keep the royal law, the royal law, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. In part seven, chapter two, verses 14 through 26, he tells us that real faith, say that, real faith is a lifestyle of godliness and good works because faith without works is what? Is dead. In part eight, chapter three, verses one through 12, his focus is on the tongue, so small, and yet so powerful. And what it does, it directs our lives, it can destroy lives, and it displays who we really are. In part 9, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, he shows us the contrast between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. In part 10, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, he talks about conflict, conflict with others, conflict with ourselves, and conflict with God. And, and the right way to deal with conflict uh, James says, is to humble ourselves. In part 11, chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, he gives us the cure for worldliness, which is intimacy with God. In part 12, chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, he deals with the critical heart. 
In part 13, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, he talked about including God in our plans, including God in our lives, because he says this, that life, the life is but a vapor, and that we should live with an attitude or with a mindset if the Lord wills. In Latin, it's Deo Valente. In part 14, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he confronted the rich and pronounced judgment on them for oppressing the poor. In part 15, chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, he talked about patience, patience in suffering, and that the focal point of our lives is Jesus' return. In part 16, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, his focus is prayer. Say, say prayer. And he exhorts us to pray, to pray when we're suffering, to pray when we're sick, to pray when we're in sin. And then he gives us an example on how to pray, pray righteously, pray earnestly, pray, pray specifically, and then he says to pray believing. This now brings us to our text, part 17 of this series. Now, it's interesting how James ends his letter, and you'll notice he doesn't say, God bless, grace and peace, love you all later. I mean, there's no words of personal recognition there. And what he does, he ends his letter by showing us the importance, listen now, the importance of restoring a believer who has wandered, who has strayed away from the truth, and bring them back into fellowship with God. And by the way, the Old Testament term for erring or wandering is backsliding. Now, now some believe here in the text, James is speaking about an unbeliever. Well, let's put this into its context, okay? So I want you to follow me here. In the preceding verses, what we studied last week, James is talking about prayer. Say prayer, right? He's talking about prayer. And he says, he says pray. He says, he says, rejoice. He says, call on the elders. Con confess our sins to one another. And the prayer of a righteous man or, or woman is powerful and effective. And then he says, Elijah, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed, what? Earnestly. So question, is James speaking to an unbeliever or a believer? Well, he's speaking to a believer. And you see, he has that same train of thought as he closes with these two verses. Now, I want you to look at verse 19a real quick here. Verse 19a, James says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth. First of all, notice he addresses them as brothers. So they're Christians, right? Brothers. Also, how can an unbeliever wander away from that which he or she has never believed to begin with? Right? So it's obvious that James is addressing believers here. The wanderer he's talking about here in the text is someone from within the church, a believer. It's about, again, dealing with those who have backslidden from the faith and they have allowed themselves to wonder, allowed themselves to wander away from the truth and they need to, listen now, to be turned back to the truth, to God himself. Now, now get this, and, and you got to get this. This text is about restoration, not redemption. Okay, it's about restoration, not redemption. The title of my message is Bring Them Back. Say that, bring them back. And what we're going to do today, we're going to look at two things in our text, and then I want to spend the remainder of our time in another text, that's Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that shows us how to restore a wandering or fallen believer. So if you're ready, say yes. Number one, is the responsibility. Write that down, the responsibility. Write that down, the responsibility. And we're going to look at verse 19a. Verse 19a. And James writes, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth. 
The word for wonder or wondering here he uses in the Greek is planeo, planeo, P-L-A-N-A-O, P-L-A-N-A-O, planeo, which means to go astray or, or to wonder about. That is to deviate from the right path. And what it does, it suggests that they were first on the path, but then strayed off the path. Now let's look at the text again. He says, if one of you should wander from the truth, say, say the truth, come on, say the truth. James reminds us that a standard of truth exists. And that standard of truth, listen now, is the very word of God. And this is not something subjective, but objective. So I want you to follow me here. It's something that can be objectively declared. Objectively declared. John 8, 18, excuse me, 1837. John 1837. Also objectively received. Objectively received. That's in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2, chapter 2, verse 10. Also objectively obeyed. Objectively obeyed. Galatians 5, 7. Galatians 5, 7. Also objectively manifested objectively manifested, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, 2 Corinthians 4, 2. Also objectively practiced, objectively practiced, John chapter 3, verse 21, John 3, 21. And it is objectively life-transforming, 1 John, life-transforming, 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. 1 John 3, 18 through 19. So if it's objective, that it's something that someone can stray from. Got it? So to wonder from objective truth is to be in error. Now you got to get this. Deflection from truth will cause deflection in behavior. I'm going to say it again. Deflection from truth will cause deflection in behavior. Now if you're saved, say amen. James makes it very, very clear that as believers, we can stray from the truth and we can stray from the ways of God. Now, now, now listen, listen. It is very dangerous, okay? It is very dangerous to assume that we can never stray from the truth. Now, I want you to write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. And Paul writes, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Got it? Hey, we live in bodies of flesh that are prone to sin, and we're constantly, constantly battling with the old nature, right, and with the new nature, and we face temptations every single day, and if we're not careful, friends, we will, we will submit to those temptations and stray from God. Now listen, even the strongest believers can stray away from God, and this is why we need other believers to hold us accountable, Verse 19b, stay with me now. And some should bring him or her back. And some should bring him or her back. The King James says it like this, and one converted, and one converted him. That whole phrase in the King James, and one converted him, in the Greek is epistrepho. It's a word, epistrepho. It's E-P-I-S-T-R-E-P-H-O. E-P-I-S-T-R-E-P-H-O. Epistrepho. It means to cause to return, to bring back to the love and obedience of God. So here James admonishes us to do all that we can to persuade those who have strayed from the truth and return to God and forsake their sin. 
Now listen, this is not being nosy of getting in someone else's business. What it is, it's admonishing them in love. Say in love, in love, keyword in love, to abandon their sin and return to God. So, so there's a lesson here, okay? There's a lesson here. And the lesson is this. Love will take the risk of confronting a fellow Christian who gets off track. I'm going to say it again. Love will take the risk. Love. Love will take the risk of confronting a fellow Christian who gets off track. So if you love them, if you truly love them, you'll confront them, but you'll confront them lovingly. You'll confront them with and in love. Now notice James doesn't say, weep over it, have them in your thoughts and prayers, talk to someone about them, or really, really, really hope that they'll come back. No, he doesn't say that. He says someone should bring him or her back. So this is a biblical mandate to reach out to those who have strayed from the truth. That's our responsibility as believers. I also want you to notice that he doesn't say the pastors or elders should bring them back. And not that the pastors or elders can't do this. I just think that James is trying to get the church body to take some responsibility here because the pastors and elders can't do everything. Got it? Also, hey, notice he doesn't even say God should bring them back. He says someone from the body of Christ should bring them back. Again, the text says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him or her back. Now, now we know that God is the one who ultimately wraps his love around the wandering believer and brings him or her back. It's the work of God's Holy Spirit in their lives, convicting them of their sin. We know that, right? But God is in the business. I love this. God is in the business of using people. We are co-laborers with God. 100% God and 100% ourselves are needed to bring them back. Question, how did God bring David back? How did God bring King David back? Not by an angel. He used Nathan. Found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. So church, we have a responsibility toward a brother or sister who has strayed from the truth. And you see, we are to look out for one another, friends, and, and we are to come to one another, uh, one another, excuse me, one another's rescue uh, whenever we're slipping away from the truth and sliding into sin. Now, now, if we don't bring back the wandering believer, then according to James, it's not the wandering one who's inactive, it's we who are inactive. This, this ministry of rescuing, this ministry of restoration, this ministry of bringing them back is a responsibility of every Christian, every Christian who is walking with God. Now listen, when a church member comes to me and tells me, you know, about a brother or sister who has strayed away, my response is, listen, I'll do my, I'll do my due diligence and, and I'll reach out to them, but you too need to go and minister to them. You too need to call them up and pray with them and admonish them. You need to do your part. And you see, James says, the person is you. And the goal is to bring them back to fellowship with God in the body of believers. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, we are a community, right? We're a community. And so as a community of believers, we should seek out those who have gone astray. And by the way, it's best for a male to minister to a male and a female to a female. Now, so real, 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 real quick here. Before you go to that strained brother or, or wandering brother or sister in Christ, you should do three things. You should, first of all, pray. Write that down say pray. You should pray. Prayer means that you're dependent 
on God and His grace, and it puts you in the right place before God. Now listen, you cannot talk. You cannot talk to a strained believer about God until you have talked. Listen, until you have talked to God first. So, so, so pray for wisdom. Pray for the right timing and, and pray for the right words. So pray. The second thing you must do is get the facts. Get the facts. Don't go on hearsay. Don't go on gossip. Make sure you ask the questions to determine the truth. So you should pray. You should get the facts. And the third thing is this. Check your heart. Check your heart. Listen, your motive should be to restore the strained believer, not to put him or her down, not to put them in their place, and not to prove that you're right and they're wrong. No, your motive should be to restore them, restore them. So question, let me ask you this. Can you, can you detect when a fellow believer starts to stray, can you? And when you can tell that, friends, are you truly concerned about them? Let me ask you this. How, let me ask you this. how do you handle that? How do you handle it? Are, are you too harsh? Let me ask you this. Do you not say anything so as not to offend them? So there's a lesson here. The lesson is this. Reach out. Simple lesson. Reach out. If there's anyone you know right now who has fallen astray, anyone you know who's fallen astray, you need to talk to them. You need to reach out to them. You need to help them. Now, I'm, I know you're probably saying, well, what if what do they resist me, Pastor? Well, hey, if they resist you, back off. Just back off and wait for that right moment and get in there once again. So that's our responsibility, the responsibility. Number two is the results, the results. And there's two results. The first result is found in verse 20a, verse 20a. And James says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death. So this is saying that the wandering believer is saved from dying prematurely. Got it? From dying prematurely, restoring their fellowship with God. Not restoring their sonship, okay, but their fellowship with God. You see, the word saved there in the text doesn't refer to eternal salvation of the soul. It refers to saving the wandering believer, believer excuse me, from severe divine discipline. They're being saved from physical death not eternal death. Got it? From physical death, not eternal death. Now, you might remember in part four of the series, chapter one, verses 14 through 15, James shows us the four stages. Remember that? The four stages that are involved when we fail to crucify the old nature. And what happens, temptation begins to take its course. And it says this, but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Notice the progression. It was desire, deception, disobedience, and then death. Now again, James is writing to believers. So this is not speaking of eternal death, but, but physical death. And I want to tell you, friends, the Bible is very clear that even believers face severe divine discipline with physical death because of willful sin. Both in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament shows us how sin brings physical death to the child of God. Follow me here. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, God struck down Nadab and Abihu for sinning against him when they offered him profane fire. In Acts chapter 5, verse 10, Acts 5, verse 10, God struck down Ananias and Sapphira for what? For lying. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, some Christians died who were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And in 1 John 5, 16, 1 John 5, 16, John warns the believer that there is a sin unto death, not spiritual, but, but physical. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, when we don't respond to God, when we don't respond to His Word, when we choose deliberately, listen now, to live by our agenda and our plan, there comes a time when God may blow the whistle, blow the whistle, and take us out, rather than allow us to be a reproach to Him in the church. Now listen, God may not take us out like these individuals, but when we give into temptation, when we stray away from Him, we are out of fellowship with Him, and to be out of fellowship with Him is a form of living death. If you got it, say got it. So listen, we must never, never, never assume that we can continue to sin and never face the chastisement of God for our sin. We need to recognize, listen now, we need to recognize that there are consequences of living in disobedience to God. The second result is found in verse 20b, and James writes this, and cover, and, and, and cover over a multitude of sins. Uh, and cover over a multitude of sins. I love this. First Peter chapter four verse eight. Write that down. First Peter four eight says, "Above all, love each other deeply." So Peter's calling our attention to the priority of love for fellow Christians as a a central part of the Christian faith. And so he says, "Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins." So so both James and Peter are quoting Proverbs ten twelve. Proverbs. 10, 12. Now I want to say this. This doesn't mean that love sweeps the dirt under the carpet. Listen, where, 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 where there is love, where there is love, there must also be truth. Got it? Now, now what does it mean to cover a multitude of sins? Well, it means when a wayward believer returns to God, a multitude of sins are covered. Now follow me here. When repentance is made, sin is done away with. Now the wayward believer can be completely restored to fellowship with God, having his or her sin covered and put away, never to be remembered again. And their sin, listen now, sins are forgiven and forgotten by God and also by their fellow believers because the righteous man or the righteous woman never reminds them of the sins that God has forgotten. And you see, the wayward believer has been restored in fellowship and no longer seeks the ways of the world. He or she now enjoys, I love this, fellowship with God rather than bringing reproach to Him. So friends, we need to do all that we can to help restore the wayward believer to fellowship with God. Now listen, I, I have never, never met a believer, a believer who had peace apart from a right relationship with God. We need to bring them back. Their fellowship can be restored, bringing peace once again into their lives. So may we live our lives in such a way to challenge others to walk in fellowship with God. The responsibility, the results. Now, now, how to restore a wandering or fallen believer. So I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, it's after the book of 2 Corinthians in uh, before the book of Ephesians, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 1, just one verse. Galatians 6, verse 1. And as you're turning there, I need to say two things before we move on. First of all is this. 
Let's not come across self-righteous looking down on them with a judgmental attitude that can possibly drive them away or even keep them from coming back to church. The second thing I want to say is we can only restore those who are willing to be restored. Got it? We can only restore those who are willing to be restored. And if the individual is not cooperative with the restoring process, then what we need to do is release them, release them into God's hands and continue to pray for them. Got it? So, so, so Galatians 6.1, five points here. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, the situation. Write that down. Say that, the situation. Look at verse 1a with me, the situation, verse 1a. And, and Paul writes, brothers, and I want to stop there because there's that word again, brothers, right? Brothers, which tells us that we have a responsibility as brothers in Christ to restore the fallen brother and sister in Christ, right? Now, I want to say this. We're not responsible for them. Rather, we're, we're responsible to them. So we got to take ownership in our responsibility to the believer, not for the believer, but to the believer and restore them. So let's read on. If someone is caught in a sin, now notice the situation. If someone is caught in a sin, in other words, it's evident. Okay, there's no question. The obvious is there. And that being said, there's no need for us to go around playing I spy trying to catch our brothers and sisters in sin. Now listen, there are many things that we all learn in our Christian walk. And one of them is this, that my sin that your sin, that our sin will find us out. It will find us out. And that's stated in Numbers 32, uh, chapter 32, verse 23. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. You see, God has a way. He has a way of exposing our sin. In one way or another, or sooner or later, our sin will find us out. Now listen, there are a few things that you can try to cover up, but eventually will be exposed. It's the gray on your hair, the wrinkles on your face, and the sin in your life. The sin in your life. Number two, here we go. Number two is the condition. Write that down, the condition. Because there's a condition or a certain condition that we must meet in order to restore the fallen brother and sister in Christ. Look at verse 1b. Paul writes, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual. So, so this begs the question, what defines being spiritual? Well, it tells us in the previous chapter of Galatians, Galatians 5, uh, verse 16 and verses 22 and 23, those who are walking and living and keeping in step by the Spirit, displaying the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. It's that. And you see, broken believers need spiritual believers. And so, friends, if you're walking and if you're living and if you're keeping in step by the Spirit, then that means that you have addressed your own issues, that you have allowed God to do spiritual surgery on your heart. Therefore, you're spiritually healthy now to restore someone. In other words, friends, you dealt with, this, with the plank in your own eye. Got it? You dealt with the plank in your own eye. Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5, Matthew 7 uh, 3 through 5 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
Now, I want you to get this. Our spirituality is not measured by how well we expose a wayward believer, rather, rather how effectively we restore the wayward believer. I love that. So now this now brings us into point number three is the goal. The situation, the condition, now the goal. Write that down, the goal. And look at verse 1c with me, verse 1c. Should restore him. Paul says should restore him, not to condemn him, or, or to judge them, uh, judge them uh, critically, but to restore them. Now, in the Greek, the word restore is katarizo. Katarizo. It's K-A-T-A-R-I-T-Z-O. K-A-T-A-R-I-T-Z-O. Katarizo. It means to mend. It means to repair. It means setting a broken bone. Uh, putting a dislocated limb back in place. It means to put in order and, and so to restore to its former condition. I love that, to restore to its former condition. So the goal is to make it right again, to bring them back to their former condition, to their former place, which is back in fellowship with God, back in fellowship with the church, and back to a strong walk with God. Someone say amen. Now get this. We restore them by redirecting them to the Word of God. I'm going to say that again. We restore them by redirecting them to the Word, to God's Word. Remember what James said? He said, my brothers, if any, if one of you, if one of you should wander from the what? The what? The truth. The truth. So we got to bring them back to the truth. Got to bring them back to the Word of God. They need to fill their lives with truth once again. Once again, listen, the one major factor in every wandering, strain, fallen believer is that they wandered and strayed and fallen away from God's word. D.L. Moody said this, and I love it, sin will keep you from the word of God, but the word of God will keep you from sin. Now, if you're saved, say amen. We cannot be successful in the restoration process unless we include the word of God. Apart from his word, there will be no restoration. Now, this could take months, this perhaps even years, but the goal is to restore them, to restore them. I love what Ezekiel 34, 16 says. Ezekiel 34, 16 says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. Did you get that? Bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. So get this, as God seeks to bring back those who have strayed, okay, back those who have strayed back to wholeness and to fellowship with Him, we must do the same. Because someday you and I might be the ones in need of restoration. Number four is the attitude. Write that down, say that, the attitude. Hey, what's more important than what we say and what we do is how we say it and how we do it, right? And so we must approach and restore the individual with the right tone, with the right attitude. This restoration process requires encouragement and, and support, not condemnation or rejection. Look at verse 1D, because Paul says, restore them gently. Say that, say gently. So, so, so be gentle, not judgmental. Got it? 2 Corinthians 10.1 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, 
I appeal to you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Matthew 11, verse 29. Jesus says, for I am gentle. There it is. There it is. I am gentle and humble in heart. So we are to have the same attitude of Christ. And you see, this is why it's so important to be walking and, and living and keeping in step by the Spirit because, by, because the nature of the flesh, of the natural man, wants to be harsh, wants to be judgmental. And we say things like, I told you so, or, or what kind of Christian are you? Because by nature, we're not gentle people. So we must be under the influence of the Spirit of God so that we will minister, restore the fallen believer with an attitude of gentleness. Why? 1 Peter 4.8. Again, 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, love each other deeply because love, what? Covers a multitude of sins. The situation, the condition, the goal, the attitude, and finally, number five, is the warning. Write that down. Say the warning. And look at verse 1e, the last part of verse 1. And Paul writes, but watch yourself. Got to get that. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Got to get that, okay? But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. So, so he's saying in, Paul's saying in this process, what he's doing, he, he warns us to be spiritually alert so that we would not fall into the same sin as a backsliding believer. So, so listen here. If we are not careful, we can get so caught up in coming down to the same level, okay, coming down to the, to the other person's level, that we too can get caught up in their sin or another sin. Back to 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Remember that? 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Augustine said this, there is no sin which one person has committed that another person may not commit it also. So, so we got to be on guard for ourselves. So I hope we understand, friends, that we too are vulnerable to temptation and prone to stray as we walk through this life. Listen, none of us are above sin. None of us are above sin. None of us live perfect lives. So, listen, we, we, need, okay, we need the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit to continue to live lives that are pleasing to Him. We need Him in our lives. So, three takeaways here. All that's been said, three takeaways. The first takeaway is this. We must care enough to get involved. We must care enough to get involved. Now, if you know someone who's drifting from the faith, I encourage you to, to talk to that person and to talk to them before they drift too far. The second takeaway is this. When someone confesses a struggle to us, our job is not to condemn. Our job is to do whatever we can to help them. To do whatever we can to help them. And we should pray and, and listen and, and encourage and point the person to God's word. And finally, the third takeaway is this. We need to ask for help when we're struggling ourselves. We need to ask for help when we're struggling Ourselves. Let's be honest, friends. Okay, it's not easy to admit our weakness. It's not easy to admit that that we're struggling. It's not easy, listen now, to live for Jesus in a world that is constantly encouraging us to ignore him. It's not easy to live by his standards when everyone around us is disregarding them. Listen, we must humble ourselves 
and admit when we're struggling so that we can receive help from those who care about us. Now, if I could sum up the book of James, it would be that faith is something that needs to be lived and not simply studied. I'm going to say it again. That faith is something that needs to be lived and not simply studied. It involves following and living for Jesus day by day. That's faith in action. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful journey through the book of James. It has been life-changing. And this is what I love about your word, Lord. It's, it's not just for information, but for transformation. It changes our lives. It draws us closer to you. And so thank you, Lord, for speaking to us and reminding us that it's, it's not about growing old in our faith. It's about growing up in our faith. It's putting our faith and what we believe into action, into practice, that there would be an, an outward demonstration, Lord, of inner faith, that we would not just be hearers, of your word, but also doers of your word. To you be the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I hope you enjoyed the series. We're all done now. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Love you and miss you.